Cast Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***ing Put that in. I don't... So the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry? Just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. And this, he sucks. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business that was ever put out in the 100 years of the present time. Sell the team. Hey, John Pielli here, MTR Radio Network. Of course, Hour 2 of the Passball Show, ready to get it going. And we're going to start off by playing an interview I recorded this past week with former Mets infielder Chris Donalds. Now, Chris ended up playing with the Mets, the Houston Astros, Los Angeles Dodgers, Arizona Diamondbacks, was taken in the expansion draft by the Florida Marlins in, uh, before the 1993 season. So lots of great things we get into. I hope you guys enjoy this interview. Good afternoon, it's John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League infielder Chris Donalds. Chris, what's going on, buddy? Come on. Yeah, pretty good, man. And, uh, you know, listen, man, it's uh, you know nice to catch up with you, you know, and uh, hope, hopefully you're able to, uh, you know, get more involved in the instructing and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it'd be great to see you back in the game. Oh, yeah. It's something I enjoy working with young kids, and it feels like I can get back to the game a little bit. It's doing so much to me. Yeah, absolutely, and you, know, you obviously had a, you know enough enough experience playing in the major leagues and stuff like that, and you know, I'm sure it'd be great to be able to pass it on to the younger kids. Yeah, it's something that uh, I really feel like uh, I don't really, I, I feel like I went to the game because it's not like I said, it's done so much for me, and I enjoy being out there among the kids. I just love being out on the baseball field, period, whether it be mowing the field or dragging it or doing whatever, I just... Yeah, no question about it. And of course, Chris, you were drafted in the first round of the 1987 draft by the New York Mets the year after they won the World Series. Um, was was any of that on your mind when you were, when you were drafted in 1987? You know, coming off uh, you know you know joining the organization of the team that just won the World Series the year before. tell you now you know you had a chance obviously to interact with a lot of players was there anybody in particular that was uh, a, a positive influence on you uh, there's a, a lot of guys Rick Sorrell and Eddie Murray uh, you know the, the list there Howard Johnson I mean everybody who I was around talked highly of me and I had come up to the minors together so um, you know there was a lot of positive influences around me and uh, 
I really wish, I, don't, I think at the time that I got up there, it was just one of those things that I don't think I was mentally able to handle the game as well as physically well enough there. I think I tried to do a little too much and got away from the things that made me a good ball player at the lower levels. And so consequently, um, you know, my numbers there were pretty disappointing, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, you drafted, you know, in 1987. You obviously see the major league team go th- go through a significant change by the time you make your major league debut in 1991. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, your your first experience in the major leagues, you know, joining the Mets in 1991 and your, your place on the team. Uh, I was called up to, uh, I think, Greg Jeffries to be a pull-a-rip change or something like that. So I got called up uh, first week of May in 1991. After only spending, you know, the first month of the season in AAA, and got to a decent start there, but, uh, you know, Greg got hurt, and so I got called up, and that was, uh, you know, probably one of the highlights of my career, just my first game and getting first hit and my first at bat, and uh, the cool thing for me was it was against the Los Angeles Dodgers, and growing up in L.A., you you get the the call to get the good call to the major leagues, and I really didn't have time to fly anybody out to come see it. Yeah, I'm sure it was. You know, of course, Daryl had a you know great career with the Mets. Of course, left as a free agent after the 1990 season. Now, you know, you know a little bit more about you. And of course, I'm speaking with former major league infielder Chris Donalds. Now, you know, you know, you had some very good numbers in the minor leagues. You know, as you came up, you know, you were playing, you know, I believe mostly third base, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. And, you know, you end, you end up coming up to the majors. Was there was there anything in particular that held you back from being able to perform at the level as you did in the minor leagues? Uh, no, not really. I think when I first got up there, I still, you know, honestly, I still pretty comfortable. I was just, uh, I was amazed at the players were just good as they were at such a good You're on that 1992 team, and there was a lot of uh, expectations based on some of the moves that were made in the offseason, the signing of Bobby Bonilla, Eddie Murray, Brent Saberhagen comes over in the trade. Uh, you know, in, in your opinion, really, uh, you know, obviously you were part of the team, but you, know, you also, you know, you have a firsthand look of really what went on that year. What do you think was the biggest key to that team not, uh, you know, getting to the expectations that were set forth for the, two, for the 1992 season? 
about it once again it's John Pialy I'm here with Chris Donalds now you know you end up you know having probably the best success of your major league career from uh, 93 to 95 with the Houston Astros tell us a little bit about first you know move, you know ending up uh, being with the Astros joining the organization and you know tell us a little bit about your development and the things that went right for you there um, yeah, I got picked up by an expansion draft by the uh, Florida Marlins and I was really looking forward to that opportunity where the Astros was going to be the manager and they had a guy uh, that was going to be between me and Gary Scott from what I was told from the organization to go into the uh, go into spring training and try to win the third base spot. Originally, since they drafted Gary also as a right-handed guy, we kind of, he and I had talked, and we thought they were going to kind of use us as a platoon role, but the organization pretty much told us, no, we're going to let one of you guys try to win the spot. And being it, I was out of options with, uh, after dealing with the Mets. Uh, they put me through waivers just to make sure in case they had to send me down at the end of spring training that they knew what they had. And uh, I was fortunate enough for the Houston Astros to pick me up. And so that was definitely a surprise. And uh, I can say the change of scenery, the change of clubhouse, the change of everything, really. I mean, Houston at that time was a very up-and-coming young team, everybody very hungry. Um, kind of a polar opposite from where I come from in 92 with the Mets. So... Like I said, it was just a breath of fresh air. There was a lot of young guys who I had competed against in the minor leagues uh, and had personal relationships with. So going in there, I really didn't feel the extra pressure to perform like I did in New York. And not to say anybody else put the pressure, but it was more self-imposed type pressure. I just really felt really relaxed there. I mean, I knew King Caminiti being the third baseman and Bagwell being the first baseman. I knew I wasn't going to win a, a starting spot. But I knew I was going to be counted on to spell those guys and give them days off occasionally, even DGL with um, an occasional day off at second base. So I really felt like I knew what my role was going in, and, and having those guys around me and being comfortable really let my athletic abilities kind of start to really develop for the first time. Yeah, no question about it. And I tell you, you know, the 1995 season, of course, you know, the league comes back after the strike. Uh, you end up with the Boston Red Sox by the time season's end. And after that, you leave to play in Japan for a couple of years. The 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 uh, Osaka Kintitsu Buffaloes. And, uh, you know, yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about your experience in, in Japan. And, uh, you know, maybe first, you know, what influenced you to play in Japan? 
And number two, about you know how how it was over the course of the three seasons you spent there. When I was finished the season with the Red Sox, I got uh, Dan Ducat was the general manager. He'd come up in the locker room and just staff me. He said, you know, what do you have planned for next season? And I said, well, I'd love to come back here. I really enjoyed my time and, you know, a great team and a great clubhouse. And uh, he said, well, have you ever thought about going to Japan? Well, I have now a few personal friends and teammates like that go over there. I never really thought about playing over there. He said, I've got a pretty substantial offer from the team and, uh, to contest the Buffaloes. And I mean, you know, you know, a lot, lot of trials and tribulations there. And it looks like, you know, you ended up making the right decision. Now you end up coming back to the major leagues. You know, you, you play with the Dodgers for a couple of years. And in 2002, you end up getting to the postseason with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience there, being part of that Diamondbacks team who had just won the World Series in 2001, but returned to the playoffs a year later. A very talented veteran group that knew what it takes to win games. Um, you know, a bunch of true professionals in the clubhouse with a lot of individual credentials under their belt. But once everybody got in the clubhouse, you'd have never known that there were so many, you know, all-stars, Cy Young, stuff like that. It was really more of a very relaxed clubhouse where it was kind of no hold of bar. If you had been to Gandy, it probably wasn't a good place to be in the Diamondbacks clubhouse because everybody kind of let each other have it. And um, it's kind of the way we played. I mean, everybody was counted on to do their part. And like I said, it was a very talented group. And, uh, you know, things really fizzled out on us at the end. They ended up, uh, Luis Gonzalez, uh, had a, I believe it was a knee injury right at the very end. And, uh, so, you know, when you lose your three hitter that's doing as much as he's done for us all season, really kind of put us behind. And they a good team in St. Louis, so they jumped on us early. And we battled with them pretty close the first couple games. But, uh, you know, it just didn't seem, when we lost God, though, it was really a big blow to us. We really, uh, I don't think we really went into that really thinking that we could beat those guys. Now, listen, Chris, thanks a lot, man. Best of luck to you. You know, I hope to see you back in the game. And, uh, you know, listen, uh, all the best to you, man. I appreciate it, John. Thanks.
Hope you guys enjoyed that spot there with Chris Donalds. We're going to take our first break at this hour. We'll be back with a lot more stuff going on. I'm Karen Siaska-Zeltman from Italian Hour. When my car needs service, I take it to Jonathan's Complete Car Care. Jonathan's Complete Car Care is the best for auto repairs, tires, diagnostics, and tune-ups. You can depend on Jonathan's for the best service at prices you can afford. Give Jonathan's Complete Car Care a call, 609-601-6460. They work hard to give you the service you need. Jonathan's Complete Car Care works with many vehicles, including Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Volvo, Volkswagen, and Audi. Make Jonathan's Complete Car Care the company you keep. 609-601-6460. Call today for a free estimate or visit. Find us on the web at jonathanscompletecarcare.com and like us on Facebook and find us on Twitter. You're listening to MTR Radio, powered by mtrmedia.com. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. You're listening to MTR Radio. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds on MTR Radio. You're listening to MTR Radio. A flippin' out radio production. And you've got it. Hot, 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 hot. Blaze, blaze in the steel. Always covering the most current topics today. Check us out on mtrradio.com. We will offer packages to advertise on our website and on MTR Radio. Get your name in front of over five and a half million people. Advertise on MTR today. Email info at mtrmedia.com for details. Back, John Pielli, Passball Show, and TR Radio Network, and of course, this is the last uh, last show before the trading deadline of July 31st, and a lot of interesting things going on. Where you look at, you know, similar to last year with the extra wild card, you look at how many different teams could be in it, how many teams may consider that they have a little bit of a chance to move forward and kind of uh, take that next step. And you know, you look at the Atlanta Braves, who just lost Tim Hudson for the season with that nasty, nasty ankle injury he suffered in a game against the Mets. Will the Braves want to add a starting pitcher? Uh, I'm, I'm going to beg to differ and say maybe not. You look at a situation where the Atlanta Braves, right now, if they get Brandon Beachy and Paul Mahalam back, who are two guys that are right on the cusp of being able to return, they also got Chris Medlin and Mike Miner. And Julio Tejaran. So they got five starters there that have all pitched well. And, of course, Beachy really has, you know, it really it has kind of Mike Miner stuff in regards to being a guy that could go out there and give them a legitimate chance to win. Another reason that I think the Braves may stand pat in this regard is the fact that they have a nice, sizable lead in the National League East. 
You look at the fact that the, the, the NL East, there's nobody really chasing them. You expect the Nationals any day to start kicking it up a notch, and they haven't done it. The Phillies have been kind of wavering over whether they're going to be a good team or a team that's just going to play out the stretch. It looks like they're doing the latter right now. And in regards to the Atlanta Braves, I think they feel they may be all right. I think they, they're better suited to pursue a reliever. I know Jesse Crane is hurt with the Chicago White Sox, but he certainly would be a good addition to their bullpen as they're obviously are without Eric O'Flaherty and Johnny Venters, who both had Tommy John surgery this year. So you're looking at a situation there where I think the Braves are going to be more inclined to add a reliever, maybe an extra outfielder, you know, with B.J. Upton out right now, you know, Jason Hayward playing center field, a guy like Alejandro Deaza or Alex Rios of the Chicago White Sox might be a good fit for them. So I think the Braves may have their hands kind of maybe making moves like that and maybe a move for a role player, a guy like a, you know, a guy you could bring in, uh, you know, perhaps like an Eric Chavez. And I don't know Eric Chavez is just a random thought. And you could say, why, why Eric Chavez? The Diamondbacks probably consider themselves in this race as much as anybody. But a player like that that could kind of play multiple positions, play some corner infield positions, maybe an outfielder or something like that. Uh, those, those kind of extra pieces that you add for a team that's looking to win the division. And the Atlanta Braves certainly seem to be the favorite in the National League East right now in regards to things. But, uh, you know, there's, there's guys out there, whether it's a Jake Peavy, whether it's a uh, – you know, you think with the Philadelphia Phillies and Michael Young that he's probably a guy that's going to be traded. Uh, I would think the Yankees would probably consider themselves at the top of the list to get Michael Young. The uh, the Boston Red Sox are certainly a team that are also going to be in it. But, you know, the Yankees are looking at when are they going to get back Alex Rodriguez. And I'm not going to talk any steroids in this part of the show right here, but you know, Alex Rodriguez is a guy that has the ability to be an upgrade for the New York Yankees. My opinion is if he's healthy, play him. The Yankees have been in a tough spot. They have struggled so mightily to score runs. It's been such a, 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 a tough stretch if you're a New York Yankee fan to watch this team go in there on a day-in and day-out basis and try to score some runs. I mean, they, they're able to win a couple games, some of them with their pitching. A guy like Hiroki Kuroda goes out there and gives him a legitimate chance to win every time he's out there. But they're, they, they're going to need a dominant pitching performance to have a chance because this team can't score runs. As of the time that I've recorded in the show, the Yankees have not had a home run from a right-handed batter since June 25th, which is ridiculous. It's over a month already. This is a team that has struggled to hit for home, home runs, something that they have prided themselves in over the last several seasons. Fans out there were saying, oh, my God, this team hits so many home runs. What are they saying right now? They could use a couple more long balls at Yankee Stadium and even on the road. This is a team that has struggled very mightily to score runs. And I think you have to ask yourself, are the Yankees conceding this season? You know, you know that they're on the verge. They may already have acquired Alfonso Soriano from the Chicago Cubs, which certainly will be an upgrade. There's no question about it. You can't deny the fact that Alfonso Soriano would be an upgrade to what they have in their outfield. You throw his bat in there at Yankee Stadium. You play him in left field. You DH him sometimes. He is, he is back on track. He had a very good season last year. He got off to a rough start this year, but he's hitting the ball very well now. He, he's going to obviously uh, thrive in, with the opportunity to play for a contending team as opposed to the Chicago Cubs, a team that has been going nowhere this year, and you knew we're going nowhere this year. But you got to look at where the Yankees are, and are they conceding this season? I mean, I think that's a very interesting question to ask. And I always say, hey, you, you want to get in on the conversation, tweet at me, at John underscore Pielli. I reply to every tweet throughout the duration of my program here. But 
uh, <clears throat> are the Yankees conceding this season? Because it's very weird to see the way they're handling that A-Rod situation. Obviously, they have their own benefit. Hopefully, they could get out of their contract, which I don't think is possible. But I think the Yankees would want to do everything they can to try to recoup as much money as they possibly can. If Alex Rodriguez sits out this entire season, if he gets suspended for the stuff going on in biogenesis and has to serve it immediately, it would certainly benefit the Yankees in their ability to try to recoup some of the money that they owe Alex Rodriguez. But... You know, are they quitting? Are they quitting on the season by quitting on Alex Rodriguez? Alex Rodriguez, as much as you, you may hate him as a Yankee fan, as much as, as a Major League Baseball fan, you may not want to support him in what he's going through right now. I get it. I understand the whole thing. But with Alex Rodriguez, he is certainly an upgrade over what they have at third base right now in David Adams. He's an upgrade over Brent Lillibridge or Jason Nix or anybody else you could think that they'd be playing right now at third base instead of A-Rod. And if he's healthy... I'm sorry. And all the other things aside, and I know it's crazy to disregard steroids in a time where that's all we're talking about is PEDs and the biogenesis thing. But if this guy is healthy enough to play and contribute at the major league level for the New York Yankees, he needs to be in the lineup. And the, to not play him with no legitimate option to replace him is quitting on, it, on the season. And the New York Yankees are never a team that you would consider quitting on a season. You may say the Phillies may be getting towards that based on their play. The Yankees are still a handful of games over 500. I know they're chasing three teams now, not just one. But to just put this season to rest and say, listen, we'll go get them next year is not the Yankee way. Not with this bunch. Not with this group that they've had over the last several years. And I know it's changed. Only Jeter and Mariano are still around. And Jeter's been hurt. But the Yankee way over the last 15-plus years has not been to throw in the towel in July and August. And I'm telling you, if they decide that Alex Rodriguez, even though he's healthy, is not an upgrade for what they have on the field, they're thinking just about themselves and trying to recoup the money from Alex Rodriguez. And in doing so, they could be sacrificing the rest of the season, and they might as well just put up the white flags. The only thing that could keep that from being a possibility and can make me seem a little bit maybe exaggerating is if they go out there and make a move or two to add a couple bats to that lineup. You know the Yankees' bullpen is going to be okay. You could trust what they have in their starting rotation, led by Hiroki Kuroda. Anytime you have CC Sabathia out there, even though he's struggled you know, this year, he hasn't been a CC Sabathia that we've seen over the last five or so seasons. You could trust that he's going to be able to get the job done in a big spot. Phil Hughes has not been good, but Phil Hughes is still a guy that you know can go out there and pitch six innings and give up two runs. Andy Pettit is Andy Pettit. Yes, Andy Pettit has struggled, but he's a guy that you could trust. So I don't think the Yankees should go out of their way to try to add another starting pitcher. If somebody falls in their lap, I'm sure they're going to be interested and have the discussion, the whole thing. But they do got to upgrade their offense. And if they want to send a message to their fans that they're in this this season and they're not throwing throwing up the white flag because Boston has played so well, because Tampa has been on a roll, because Baltimore has outplayed them this season, then they have to make a couple moves here. A guy like Michael Young would certainly be a guy that you could consider an upgrade over what they have at third base. And if they decide to that that they're going to try to play, uh, you know, play hardball with Alex Rodriguez, if they're going to try to play it to a point where they want to keep Alex Rodriguez off of this team as much as they possibly can, and they they have to show their fans that they care about winning this season because the Yankees are not a rebuilding team. 
This is not a team that you talk about, let's bring up some young kids and see how they fit in next season. This is a veteran team that is expecting to be be contending next year, not just contending, but contending towards the top of the American League. So the message to send is not to trade a couple of veteran players, which I haven't even gotten into yet, but it is to get players to compete this year. And a guy like Michael Young would be an upgraded third base. A guy like Alfonso Soriano would certainly help the situation in the outfield. And the Yankees would certainly be able to use the rest of their players that they have to be able to fill in other spots in their lineup and stay competitive this season. But the key with this team is they got to play better. They, they can't go out there and, you know, win a game, lose a game. They got to play over 500 baseball. They got to go on a roll. They got to have an 8 out of 10 in them. They got to have a 17 out of 25 or something like that. But they have to continue to play good baseball if they want to have the opportunity to compete at this level and compete with these other teams in the American League East. So, you know, that that's, that's my thoughts on that. Um, in regards to some other players that could be moved, we talked about Jake Peavy. Uh, he would be a very good fit in either Boston or Atlanta right now. And I know I just mentioned before that Atlanta could go by with the starting pitchers that they have right now. But if they can add a guy like Jake Peavy who could be an ace, who could be that number one starter that you got that you throw out there in game one of the NLDS or the NLCS, I think you got to make the move for it. But if, if Peavy doesn't fall your way, I don't think they should trade for a guy like Bud Norris. I don't think they should trade for a second-tier pitcher who would be a three or a four in their rotation because they do have some very good pitchers. Mike Miner is pretty good. Chris Medlin's pretty good. These are guys that could pitch the first couple of games of a series if they absolutely need. So if, unless they're going to upgrade, unless they're going to get PV, then I think the Braves should kind of stand pat where they are. The Red Sox, on the other hand, I think this would be this is a perfect storm, really, for Jake Peavy because – he has a chance right now to pitch for Boston if he ends up getting traded there. He could be a top-of-the-rotation pitcher, and he makes the Boston Red Sox not just a surprise that they got themselves back together so quick after such a terrible 2012 season with Bobby Valentine, the whole thing. You look at this team could can legitimately contend for an AL pettit if they add a guy like Jake Peavy. So I do think that that's something that you would like to see happen. It's very curious to see how the trading deadline is going to pan out. Like I said, plenty of teams are in it. You got the Los Angeles Dodgers who are on a surge now. You know they're always looking to upgrade. They added Ricky Nolasco to their pitching staff. They could never seem to have enough starting pitchers. If you know, maybe they're in it with PV, maybe they're not. Maybe they're in it with Bud Norris, maybe they're not. Maybe Giovanni Gallardo is a guy that they're considering, maybe not. But at the same time, you're looking at this as a situation where the Los Angeles Dodgers obviously consider themselves the favorites in the NL West now. And I would be very surprised if his team took a step back because they're getting a lot out of Hanley Ramirez. They're still getting something out of Yasiel Puig, though he hasn't been as good as he was when he came up in that first month. Adrian Gonzalez has been solid. They have three unbelievable starting pitchers with Kershaw and Greinke and Rue. And you add Nolasco to the mix. Their bullpen has is, is, is gotten itself together with Jansen and uh, Brandon League. This is a team that is going to compete at the level that we expected to them to do at the beginning of this season. So I would expect the Dodgers to be very active. The Pittsburgh Pirates, I think, are ready to, to, to make that run. I think they could be a legitimate contender. Not just, not just a wild-card team, but a team that could win that National League Central this year. So I think they should they'd be very cautious and conscious over maybe adding another outfielder, maybe another infielder, maybe another starting pitcher if one falls their way. 
Uh, their bullpen has been phenomenal. Obviously, would have got a, a lot of guys that we didn't expect. Jason Grilly, Mark Melanson, you know, all those guys have done a phenomenal job in that bullpen. But I think the Pirates are contenders. You look at the Tigers, obviously, they are considered probably the best team in the American League, though the record may not say so. But you, you got the Athletics who have bounced back. You got the Rangers. You got a lot of teams that are really going to be interested in making moves. I expect this to be an extremely busy trading deadline as we get into things going on in Major League Baseball July 31st. So we're going to take another break. Uh, we're going to finish up this program right here on the MTR Radio Network. John Pielli, Pass Ball Show, back after this. Welcome to MTRRadio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. Check out the Android Marketplace and iPhone App Store for the MTR Radio app. 24-7 streaming live and on demand. MTR. Back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. And we're going to get right into an interview I recorded with former Major League pitcher Charlie Liebrand. And, of course, Charlie Liebrand came up in the late 70s with the Cincinnati Reds, pitched in the postseason, surprisingly, in 1979 when they played the Pirates in the NLCS, but also had some good postseason, uh, nice postseason run with the Kansas City Royals in 84 and 85. Of course, culminated with the 1985 World Series win. And then, of course, you know, after some very good years with the Royals, moved on to the Atlanta Braves, where he was the veteran on a very young staff, which, of course, included John Smoltz and Tom Glavin, and got them to the postseason in 91, 92, and 93. Finished his career, uh, you know, in, in 1993 with the Texas Rangers, a team that was, was kind of on the rise itself. So a guy that had a very good and prolonged major league career. Hope you guys enjoy my interview with Charlie Liebrand. So we start out. You obviously, uh, you know, had a chance to pitch for a couple different teams. You, you know, five-time, uh, you know, postseason pitcher. Uh, tell us a little bit about the beginning, starting out with the Cincinnati Reds, and then uh, getting getting a chance to pitch in the 1979 at LCS. Ohio, so I was a big red fan, and 
Yeah, absolutely, man. And of course, you had a chance to play for the late Dick Hauser. Now, you know, how about a little bit about playing for Dick Hauser and what it was like having him as a manager? Well, Dick was instrumental in my career. Um, I got called up, uh, I think it was in June of uh, uh, 84. And uh, I got a chance to pitch in the Metrodome. Um, my first start, and uh, I was pitching very well in the minor league, so I, I just kept kept right on. I got a very good game against the Twins. And uh, I don't remember exactly how many innings I pitched, but I think I pitched six, seven, eight innings and uh, gave up only a run or two. And the next day, pitchers do, do their shag, and the guys the day after the starting pitcher shags up behind, uh, you know, in short center. And uh, it came up to me after the game. He goes, hey, where do you live in Kansas uh, City? go, I just got here. I don't have a place to live. He goes, hey, whatever you do, go find a place. Because uh, you're in my starting rotation. And nobody ever told me that before. So that gave me great peace of mind to know that, you know, that he liked what he saw. He wasn't worried that... Uh, I wasn't a, a power pitcher. He thought I he liked what he saw. He knew I could pitch. He knew I could change speeds. And uh, um, so that was instrumental in me settling down and, you know, really taking charge and believing, you know, believing that I could do it. And, you know, to this day, it, 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 you know, it's a lot to, it's always been a lot to my career, and I, I never thanked him enough. No, no, that's, that's awesome. And I tell you, you know, it kind of brings it to a point. You see a lot of... Uh, a lot, of, a lot of pitchers that kind of come in as power pitchers and have to learn to be finesse pitchers. You kind of came in as, as a finesse pitcher to begin with. Do you, do you think do you think that uh, you know that you know learning that early on was uh, one of one of the uh, one of one of the positive things to you having a, a lengthy career? Well, you know, it's, it's, you know, as I look at the game today and I, I see so many guys. Uh, uh, breaking down with serious injuries, and, and so many guys today are throwing so hard. And I, uh, I just, I, I think I go. Well, I just wonder if, if the, the arm was not meant to go that fast. It's really impressive, but there's so many guys getting injured. And uh, to that point, I mean, I would have loved to throw 93, 95. I would have, I, mean, I would have loved to be that guy. But uh, uh, I was always a big baseball fan, and I always wanted to pitch in the major league, so I tried to do whatever I could whatever it could take. And for me, I, I had to, I had to find my fastball, I had to change speed, and I had to throw a little breaking ball from time to time to, to be effective. And so I learned that you know, that's what I had to do, and uh, yeah, that's what I had to do. I was going to do it and try to be the best I could be. And so, um, you know, it, it worked out for me. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a good career, and, uh, 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 you know, I just, I mean, just, you know, overall, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with the way everything went with my career. Yeah, no, I'll tell you, it really comes full circle for you when you when you get traded to the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, you talk about, you know, you learning from a guy like Seaver and some of the older pitchers, and then, of course, you pitching with some, some pitchers that are younger than you, some the same age in Kansas City, and then you become the veteran at, you know, age 33 with the 1990 Atlanta Braves, a team that, you know, finishes sixth place, you know, does you know, it looks like they're, they're not very good, but at the same time, has a lot of good young pitching. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience in Atlanta and your influence on so many young pitchers there as they're able to go from, from worst to first from uh, 1990 to 1991. You know, my experience in Atlanta was not a whole lot different than it was in Kansas City. I was, I think I was 27, 28, uh, and I was the veteran of the staff, and the Kansas City, the guys like Ruben, Saber, Hagen, and Jack, and they were
not a great team, but uh, you know we could have been. Uh, but uh, we were just a, uh, a little bit light on the pitching and defense side, which is uh, which you know, as everyone knows, pitching and defense wins championships. And uh, you know, we were good, but we were uh, we came up a little bit short this year. Yeah, no question about it. Listen, Charlie, I want to thank you for having some time and best of luck to you and uh, great getting a chance to speak with you. Yeah, a great spot there with Charlie Lebran. Of course, Charlie had a very successful career with uh, many teams. The Royals, of course, winning a World Series championship in 85, and he was a very integral part, kind of an underrated part of that Atlanta Brave team of 91 and 92. And, you know, he'll always be known for giving up that home run to Kirby Puckett in, uh, in game six. But remember, you know, this was a guy that was a starter pitching and out of the bullpen. I don't mean to make excuses, but listen, I mean, the guy was a very good pitcher, and I, I don't think the Braves got to or would have gotten to where they ended up getting to in 91 and 92 without Charlie Liebrandt being part of that team. And, you know, it was great catching up with him. But, you know, just been kind of finishing things up here. We got a couple things, you know, trading deadline we talked about before. Of course, uh, you know, we're, we're making this the uh, anti biogenesis program of the week and it's not that we're not going to get into it in another another day but I want to focus on baseball and what's going on right now and you know you see you see teams like such as the Chicago Cubs they they are obviously sellers and you got to consider what kind of players they would be looking to move of course they traded Scott Feldman to Baltimore and they traded uh, Matt Garza to uh, Texas you know, Alfonso Soriano seems to be on his way to the Yankees but you know the, you know Theo Epstein is looking to build towards the future and move several of the older players that he doesn't consider to be part of the, uh, of the long-term solution. A guy like Nate Scherholz is a possibility. A guy like Scott Hairston, who, of course, you know, Met fans know is a guy who was with the Mets over the last couple of years, are possibilities to be moved as well. And then, you, you know, you look, you look there, there are going to be some teams that are straight sellers like the Cubs. But, you know, you know you get, like, like the point that I got into before, we're talking about several teams that consider themselves in the race in regards to trying to get into the postseason. And even if it's for just that one-game playoff, uh, that, that's a success story in itself. And you play that one game, you have the opportunity to go to the AL or NLDS and you know be a legitimate postseason team. And we're going to wait to see if, if a team that wins that one-game playoff ends up winning a World Series, which you know didn't happen last year, but you know if over time is going to happen. You've seen wild-card teams in the old wild-card format win the World Series most notably the Florida Marlins. I mean, there's going to be teams that are in that one game that are kind of going to kind of be on a roll and maybe take that into, uh, you know, the DS series and then into the, you know, into the LCS and the World Series. And, you know, it would be very anxious to see how that, that ends up turning out. But, you know, you see teams that really are looking to upgrade themselves in different areas. And, you know, we, we touched on pitchers. We touched on position players. But, you know, what about a team like the New York Mets? And, you know, I always got to touch and, you know, get a little perspective on what's going on with the New York Mets. You see a team that's playing better baseball, uh, you know, most recently finished a 4-3 and three homestand, their first winning homestand in a while. They played very good baseball on a road. They're up against the Nationals this weekend. And, you know, you see the team kind of showing signs of maybe turning that corner. And I'm not going to say by any stretch of the imagination that they're a playoff team. They're not. They're not going to make a. They're not going to go out there and win ten in a row and get themselves in a wild card race. But but I think they're they're moving forward with their young pitching. A couple of the young players have stepped in to start playing the outfield. Juan Lagares is a guy that you know I, I wasn't really sold on coming into the season. 
and you know even watching him through the first month or so he, he seemed like a guy that was just behind hitting and and you know people have said hey well this guy has developed and adjusted to to hitting at every different level and he's done that at the major league level eric young was a very good acquisition here's a guy that was riding the pine in in colorado sitting on a bench and now you look at him, he's, he's a guy that you definitely got to consider as an everyday player with the Mets. And the Mets outfield, which looks so hideous, so horrendous coming into this season, has looked so much better right now with Eric Young, with Juan Lagares, and of course Marlon Byrd, who has been a phenomenal, phenomenal godsend to the New York Mets team. Now, we talk about Marlon Byrd for a second because people have always mentioned him in trade rumors. They say, hey, maybe the Mets sell high on him and end up moving him and getting something back for him. I don't know if the Mets are going to be able to get enough back for Marlon Byrd, who is on a minor league contract. Similar to Delman Young with the Philadelphia Phillies. You look at Delman Young, and he's on, he's on such a, short, a small contract that the Phillies are not going to be saving that much money by moving him uh, unless you're going to give the Phillies something that they can legitimately use and go forward with. Then it would make no sense for the Philadelphia Phillies to trade Delman Young. Similar to the Mets with Marlon Byrd. And I think you're looking at two situations that are very similar, and I, I don't think either team is going to consider themselves, uh, you know, out of, going out of their way to move either player. I mean, I think Delman Young is a possibility to come back for the Phillies, depending on what they look to do this offseason. And Marlon Byrd could very well come back and be a fourth outfielder for the New York Mets. It's something that he is in favor of. He's been asked about it. He says he wouldn't mind being a fourth outfielder with the New York Mets. We all assume that they're going to go out there and maybe make a trade, maybe make a free agent signing, upgrade their outfield in a significant way. But Marlon Byrd is a guy that the Mets could see themselves going forward with. I think it's an absolute... It's an absolute possibility that they bring him back next year and maybe even extend him before this season's over. I mean, why not? I mean, there's a guy that at the very least could be an everyday player. I don't know if he could duplicate the stats that he's done this past season. You know about the issues surrounding him with the PEDs that he used in 2012 and got suspended with the Boston Red Sox. But, you know, he's a guy that I think is worth taking a chance on. And the same with the Phillies and Delman Young. I mean, especially if he could start hitting the ball to, to, to what is cap he's capable of. If Delman Young could go on a run, and he hasn't played that bad since he's been healthy. He's been a regular. He's been the everyday right fielder for the Phillies. Maybe the Phillies can consider themselves a, as a possibility to move forward with him. But listen, I want to thank everybody for being part of the program today. Great job. Al Oliver, Chris Donalds, Charlie Liebrandt. We'll be back with you next week at another edition of the Passball Show right here on the MTR Radio Network.